0: Um, So there's a lot of devotees on, and I think you can see all of their names, Um, Mm -hmm. but since your connection hasn't been good, I think a lot of us are going to turn off our videos pretty soon so that the connection will be clear for the recording. Um, Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Arshana is recording. So um, is there anything you'd like to share or just things that you've been up to or thinking about or, Yeah.
1: Well, uh, good to be with you. Um,
2: feel pretty safe here at Odaria. i taken care of good supplies and uh, plenty of milk. Sorry. <laughs> so the um, um, weather's changed here now, so it's, it's quite apparent uh, that <clears throat> Winter has uh, exhausted itself, so it's it's very pleasant here with the uh, spring and all the blossoms. Mm. So um, that's been nice, and um, we're starting to uh, prepare for some some planting. Who knows? In the long run, <laughs> how long will be? Uh, Locked down here, so to speak. And so, um, yeah, probably grow a little more than we have in the past. But um, other than that, um, I'm still uh, writing in my book. Uh, as I mentioned, I was going to add another chapter. So I'm involved in that. And I'm going through the last, uh, last part of it, the center of the circle, uh, if you will. Um, the book is entitled Saki which means circle of friends. So it has a circumference and a, as a radius in the center, <clears throat> so um I've been going through it for the you know for the for the first time after I've been written it, and I'm in the last section in the center and um I have another chapter to write, and I have um a couple of appendixes, so I'm still busy with that <clears throat> and uh, I hope you'd be patient and and for us to come out in uh, in waiting for it so can you hear me
0: yeah yeah i can hear you pretty well
2: okay well let's go ahead and uh, take the questions
0: sure um so jiva goswami you're up first and you can just unmute yourself or um maybe archana will unmute you oh i think you're unmuted, jiva goswami hey
3: maharaj thank you for inviting me um Sure. And in the in the lectures that you gave on the Brahma Vimohan Leela, you talked about there being three metaphysical egos, uh, Ahamkara, Aham, and Aham Gopi. And um, it seems like there's so much work to do as a sadaka just to realize Aham, or to get to the Brahman platform, uh, because there's I have so many onnartas. And so for me, I found that mindfulness practices or meditation practices other than chanting japa help me focus my mind on the chanting, being more present and, and spacious in general. But I often feel guilty or have a bad conscience about doing them because they're not exactly in the Vaishnava repertoire. And from other devotees and sometimes from reading Prabhupada's books, I've gotten the feeling that it's It's the vice of way or nothing at all, and not leaving room for these other practices what What is your perspective? what is your take on that
2: well i'm not exactly sure what you mean by other practices. You mentioned mindfulness that's uh, kind of a broad term i realize that, realize it probably has some p- particular <laughs> meaning or application in contemporary uh, spirituality here. Uh, in the West, um, but I'm not entirely familiar with what that um, means per se, and so I wouldn't be able to say without some explanation of, of what you're doing, whether that is within or outside of the parameters of of our smaram our our own uh, form of uh, meditation. Obviously, in our meditation. We meditate on Krishna, on his name, for example, in Japa. That's a form of uh, dhyan meditation. And so we seek to um, focus the mind on Krishna rather than emptying the mind, but at the same time, within Smaranam. As explained by Jiva Goswami, and Bhakti but there are different uh, stages. Pratyahara, for example, is one of them. And uh, Pratyahara means to withdraw the mind from other things, other objects, other objects of thought, and so forth. So uh, as much as mindfulness might involve withdrawing the mind from other thoughts, um, then it wouldn't be outside of the parameters of what constitutes meditation within Gaudi Vaishnavism, but basically the difference between those practices and traditions, which seek to empty the mind of other thoughts, still the mind and so forth. And our tradition is that there's uh, the former really focuses, if you will, on kind of a, if, if, the idea of some kind of a contentless consciousness or an indeterminate um, expression of the Absolute, whereas <clears throat> our focus is on de- determ- the determinate feature of the Absolute, which means he has qualities, form, so on, um, Lila and Entourage and so forth. And,
1: um,
2: um, while that's the case, it shouldn't be, I, I don't see, uh, how focusing the mind on Krishna in meditation in,
1: uh, leaves out or dismisses or doesn't deal with, um,
2: uh, withdrawing the mind from the focus on uh, objects of the world or, or, or thoughts about them. So um, I'll let you elaborate further on what you're doing and seeing, see if I can, I can help for, uh, further with my answer.
3: So after doing Pranayama, uh, then it's more like a pratyahara where I'm trying to withdraw the thoughts from the object of the world and still the mind and that is done. I do that before I chant so that when I chant I'm, I can focus on the chanting and I'm not thinking a thousand different things. So I the see. idea is to feel uh, an aliveness within myself um, that's deeper than the the, the material thoughts or uh, what I have to do for the day—it's—it's a—it's a focusing, it's a, a centering practice.
2: Yeah, I think that, and it's either in Bhakti Sandarbha or Hari Bhakti Vilas, perhaps Hari Bhakti Vilas of Sanatana Goswami, that uh, Pranayama and Pratyahara recommended before chanting the uh, the um, Diksha Mantra, Gopal Mantra. So um, I think you're okay there. <laughs> Uh, if, if if you if you will um, but again uh there's a big difference in that unto itself and a preoccupation with the determinate feature of the absolute the, the the result will be um considerably different obviously um I kind of differentiated between peace and and, and and love, if you will, as 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 an outcome. Um love being full of movement and interaction and so forth. Um and peace being still. So uh again, the indeterminate feature of the absolute versus the determinate. But this is, but what you're doing um, seems fine. Does that help?
3: Yes can I ask a, a follow up question about what you just said yeah so don't we have to have some level of peace before we can move on to to the love I mean if our if our mind is so harried and and crazy isn't that is that a stepping stone to to love well um,
2: Not everybody has the uh, adhikar, or is eligible to um, fully embrace um, bhakti as a, as, a, as a path. And um, so, uh, there's a gradation that, um, um, where bhakti may be a factor but other practices may be involved. Now what, what, what Prabhupada Swami is teaching is, is shuddha bhakti, bhakti, as a practice. Um, and so,
1: um,
2: if one's mind is so disturbed that they can't sit and hear and chant and, and so forth and simply engage in the angas of bhakti, then, then, um, Probably they um, um, need to do karma mishra bhakti mm. uh, or or, or siddha bhakti. Um, but kind of what you're asking, I think, is that should I shouldn't? It, isn't it good to just first focus the mind and 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 then um, become peaceful? And then talk about love. There was a statement of Pujapap Chudamarsh describing a conversation that he had in his youth with one uh, gentleman who suggested that, that, that the preem of Radha, Radha preem is certainly the highest ideal. So but first we have to become empty like the Buddhists. Then we have to become um, fixed in, in Brahman, like the Shankaras taught, and so on and so forth. And it sounded very logical, and Pujapachita Maharaj replied, that sounds very logical, but it's not what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught. He didn't taught. He didn't teach, first become a Buddhist, then become a, an Advaitin, then gradually become a, a Gaudi Vaishnava. But again, not everybody's qualified uh, to, to take up fully the Angas of Bhakti. Um, but um, yes, yeah, yeah, if your mind's not peaceful, how can you meditate? That's true. Therefore, within bhakti, within shuddha bhakti, within uttam bhakti, dhyan or meditation is, smar- smarnam, I should say, is, has divisions, as explained by Rupa Goswami, Ajiva Goswami, in Bhakti Sandarbha. <clears throat> and we've talked about it already in this. In this uh, uh, brief discussion that you and I are having—that uh, pratyahara is is part of that smarnam, mm-hmm. uh, one of the stages of that's of smarnam. So withdrawing the mind from other. So you know, yeah. Once you one, one, one do that, and one cannot be fully successful. Just you, certain. I should say that certain uh, aspects of smaranam within the Gaudiya tradition of uttam bhakti are pertinent to one's practice. Others are not pertinent to practice, but they are a result of practice. Actually, uh, Dhruvanu Smriti uh, and Samadhi, these aren't aren't practices, these are more results of practices, which include Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, uh, so forth. So uh, withdrawing the mind, focusing the mind, contemplating, the meaning of the mantra, for example, in order to help uh, fix the mind on the mantra rather than on other thoughts, um, mananam or or dharanam. So, uh, we don't, for example, our ideal is to meditate on the leelas of Radha Krishna, but we don't recommend that a person just come and sit down and meditate on the past steps of Radha Krishna because they don't have the eligibility to do that. So there is a gradual, even within bhakti, those who have embraced the path, a gradual um, increase or development of one's eligibility to embrace all of the practices. Some practices are are relative to one stage within sadhana bhakti. Some practices may be relative to lower stages and some to higher stages. So uh, that said, kirtan is... uh, Anyone with the requisite faith is eligible to do, to do kirtan, and kirtan is a very, very powerful means for um, harnessing the mind and the senses. So you can sit down, and you don't have to have other people with you, and do kirtan um, for an hour. You can use cartels, or, or if you like, and uh, and that should foster meditation that should uh, um, be be very helpful for for controlling the mind. So, uh, while there, anyway, while there's a (coughs) gradual development of eligibility, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) um, Kirtan is something that anyone can um, recommend it. In Pujapachitom, our mission. He would not give out japa beads to anyone until the time that they were actually initiated. Prior to that, they were allowed to participate in kirtan
1: Mm.
2: only. Um, And hearing, they couldn't read the Bhagavatam either, for example. They could hear the Bhagavatam from the lecturers. And they could participate in kirtan and the, the darshan of the deity in the temple and so forth. So, um... I think that's a way of uh, kind of answering your question within the context of of Gaudiya Vaishnavism itself. And I don't think we should go outside of Gaudiya Vaishnavism for other practices to accomplish some stage, if you will, developmentally, that that can be accomplished within Gaudiya Vaishnavism Vaishnavism itself if its practices are properly um, understood. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Yeah, I mean, say so you say so. Don't you think we need to have peace before we can have love? Well, yeah, <laughs> I do. I think the mind has to become peaceful. The senses have to be con- become controlled, um, and uh, and and if they are, if one's mind is peaceful, when focus on Krishna, and when senses are controlled, they can be engaged in relation sense objects only for the service of Krishna, then gradually love for Krishna will come. So what you have to practice in bhakti is is, is um, to see the extent to which your senses are in touch with sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna, rather than for the pleasure of the illusory identity that is, that you're, you're identified with at present, arising out of the body-mind complex.
1: Hmm?
2: And, and you'll see how much of a sadhaka you are. Hmm? Um, but you can easily understand the point here that when your senses are in touch with sense objects for the pleasure of your senses, which your body is constituted of both the, your, your, your senses for conceiving and those for acting. Um, and that's your whole identity in a sense. Your mind, the senses, working senses and conceptual senses or senses of perception that's what we're we're constituted of that's the body-mind complex when we do things when we come in touch with sense objects only for the pleasure of those senses well we're obviously fostering that particular identity
1: hmm?
2: nourishing that identity and conversely when we do that for the pleasure of krishna's senses well we're deconstructing that identity hmm? and simultaneously constructing very practically speaking, another body. That's why the Siddharupa or the the internal meditative form that is the very expression of the preme that one develops in which one can participate in the super subjective meditative realm of of Krishna Leela, in one sense, it it really arises out of the Sadhaka Deya. So we have two bodies, a practitioner's body, a Sadhaka Deya, and then an internal meditative uh, form. The latter will arise out of the former hmm? when the former is used appropriately, as I'm saying. So, this is a good meditation because we are f- constantly functioning through the medium of our senses and minds. So, you have to stop and think now I'm looking at this to taste this, to hear this, to do. Th- Am I doing that for the pleasure of Krishna? Will that please Krishna? Or is that something that will please my ears, my eyes um, um, under, them, under themselves? And, so, and it could be both, of course, It could please your senses and, and Krishna's senses, but that's the kind of the art of sadhana. So that's, um, if, you, if, you, if you contemplate that, and if, if, you, if you kind of make that a, a conscious practice, that you'll, you'll, get, uh, you'll get results. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you for your question. Nice to have
1: you there. Thank you. Um,
0: and Eric?
4: Eric, okay. Let me see if Morning. he's. Dandavats Maharaj, Hare Krishna. So, my question today is regarding Guru Tattva. Um, So I watched a video that you made a while ago on this topic and it was very helpful because this was kind of something that I would struggled with understanding for a while because, you know, there's quite a few um, statements in the Shastra that sort of point towards, I guess you could say like a a understanding of Sri Guru in the sense of, you know, being non-different from Krishna or being a manifestation of Krishna's mercy and therefore seeing them in an absolute sense, but uh, of course there are relative aspects too, and I guess um, just I just wanted some clarification uh, on on that uh, topic in general of uh, how to differentiate the relative and absolute aspects of a uh, guru and their instructions, um, because I, I, this sort of almost got touched on a little bit in the last a question that I had, like last week, in regards to the interpretation of the intoxicants thing, because, um, like, as you mentioned, Srila Prabhupada wasn't necessarily aware of exactly, like, certain things about, like, oh, well, is chocolate really an intoxicant, and things like that, and so, um, so, because, you know, Srila Prabhupada and other acharyas are not omniscient, and therefore, they don't necessarily, like, know everything about, like, say, for example, like, material, like, topics like you know what is like things about like yeah yeah real science and such so um i guess my question is when how, how do i put it i guess yeah just how, how can we differentiate between relative and absolute statements and instructions and i guess it gets confusing sometimes because even contemporary acharyas or like or disciples of Prabhupada, or it seems like sometimes they contradict one another in their, um, apparently at least, in, in some of their instructions or interpretations. Yeah, um, I think it takes
2: uh, the, the how, if you will, uh, um, to, do, to, to make such uh, uh, differentiation and discriminate, is, is really the power of spiritual intelligence that one gradually develops. So, um, uh, often in the beginning, it's, it's, it's taken to be, um, it's, it's the the way the understanding comes to, to the the student about the guru is that that he or she is absolute in all respects. Um, and that's good. I think that that can be helpful. Um, but in time going forward, then the clarity on the nature of the guru, tattva, a greater understanding that should develop from our practice. One of my godbrothers once said that um, he used to think that when you sit, if you were spiritual and you were to give an affirmative answer to a question, he would go, yes, yes, yes. And shake your head whereas in the Western world if you shake your head like this it means no yes 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 because that's what Prabhupada did yes 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 but then he said when I went to India I said everybody did that <laughs> yes yes so he you know in a very simplistic way understood that there was a, there was a relative and there was everything he did wasn't the only absolute way to do everything hmm? Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur never ate ang- mangoes because once in his youth he ate a, ate a mango that had not been offered, um, desired it or something like that, and succumbed to that desire, or something to that effect. So he never ate ang- mangoes, but probably ate, ate, ate mangoes. So, so you could think, well, to eat mangoes is not spiritual. You didn't know the story. Um, um, and uh, of course, we're also talking about in a broader sense here, what, what comes up is, is what's a principle and what's a detail. Details are relative to be, to, to change, and their purpose is to, is to deliver the principle. And one of And so one Acharya may have different details, another, another details, different, other have different details. And then students not aware of that think there's, there's a contradiction when there's only a, a difference in, in details seeking to, uh, deliver or focus, uh, bring the students in, 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 in touch with it to, to embrace the, the, the principle. Um, but um, another, of course, obvious example of what we're talking about is the fact that the a charger will teach according to time and circumstance. Now, this is something that, for example, probably repeats in his books over and over and over again. So it should, anyone with, a, with an ounce of intelligence can understand that, that that time and circumstance change; therefore, the presentation may change with regard to details and how to preach, it, how to how to present it, and so forth. Where you are, who your audience is, what are the social uh, norms of the of the time would be perhaps a, a consideration, and so forth. Um, and that obviously renders some of the teachings of previous acharyas, which were um, uh, in consideration of their time and circumstance relative hmm, in new times and circumstance, and thus the need for a succession, right? So it's very important to understand there's being details and principles, which is the same thing we're talking about, basically, an absolute and a relative in the context of Guru Tattva. But how to do that, I mean, as much as one can't figure out how to do that, uh, one should, when one's aware that that's, that's a reality, one needs to ask, perhaps. Otherwise, one needs some spiritual intelligence to, if you don't have it, you go, how could, uh-oh, this is a problem. How am I going to figure out what's absolute and what's relative? And I get that kind of... Reaction sometimes, oh, my God, it was so easier just to think everything is absolute. Well, it may have been easy, but but now it's becoming a problem hmm, for you, uh, for somebody. Usually those who say that, at the same time, they don't like the answer or the answer seems like challenging. Hmm? How do I do that? The reason that they're giving that response is because they've asked a question that has that is that it that involves <laughs> this very issue, right? Something he said this, but you know what did it mean? And, and, and that so what you're being faced with obviously at that point, when that becomes apparent, is the need to exercise spiritual intelligence discrimination, which is a characteristic of Nishta. Hmm? Nishta is a kind of faith that um, that really, properly understood, can can differentiate between itself and belief. What is a belief that's relative, and what constitutes faith? And Bhakti Vinod Thakur has written about this. It might be useful to read some of the writings of, of Bhakti Vinod. He's a, he is a, someone who very much um, dealt with this. This uh, this th- 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 this this issue. <clears throat> so, you know, for example, there are there are beliefs in the tradition for, from Bhakti Bhanoit's point of view uh, that Vyasadeva wrote all the Vedas. Could be, could not be. Some modern people, by a different lens, look at the texts and date them at different times and so forth, and don't attribute their authorship to one mystical, uh, mytho-historical person. Whereas the tradition, in one sense, does. But Bhakti Vinod said, well, that's just a matter of of, of belief. Hmm? And one could be right, the other could be right, or some third thing could be. It doesn't really matter. What does the text actually say? Hmm? What is your faith in, in in the metaphysic, in the ideal, and in, in, in the core? And then you go with it, what is the core I, I, idea? Hmm? Here is a particular worldview that says, that the that that, that, the, that there's a body there 's a mind and there 's an Atma hmm? and there's a world of consciousness that the Atma can flourish within where there 's movement where there's differentiation where there's there, where love can be found and so forth I mean, we, these are kind of the, to look at it in the, in, in the broadest way um, and so I think you know again the answer to your question is how to do that you, you have to have spiritual intelligence. Hmm? and it takes time. And for that matter then, the way in which preem is given, Krishnas Gaviraj Baswami describes that preem, that dispensation of Gora is through two, two Bhagavatas. He explains, Krishnas Kaviraj the person Bhagavatam and the book Bhagavatam. So, um, you have to learn the book Bhagavatam from the person Bhagavatam. And the person Bhagavatam from an absolute perspective, let's say the guru right which you're asking about, he or she should be able to represent the teaching of the book of the text accurately accurately and and dynamically according to time and circumstance um, he or she is uh, required in order to be qualified, if you will to. Rendered that service, to be fully acquainted with the text, shabde to nishnatam. This is a famous statement of the Bhagavatam, probably the most cited verse from the Bhagavatam that describes both the qualification of the guru and the disciple. So with regard to the guru, shabde pare to nishnatam, he or she has to be acquainted from a theistic perspective, pare, of the shabda, of the transcendental sound. Nishnatam means no, to understand it upside down, inside out, and backwards. And Vishwanathaka Tathakra says, and that means other books too. Besides, in other words, to understand the Bhagavatam and represent it practically, you have to have read other books, like what's not the Bhagavatam, for example. For example, you take uh, the the founding Acharyas as commentators on the Bhagavatam, they were familiar with Sankhya philosophy. Uh, Nyaya, uh, Vaisheshika, Karma Mimamsa, Vedanta—these were the, the, the six systems of philosophy. That's all there were. They were fully acquainted with the six systems. Jiva Goswami went to Benares and studied all those systems of philosophy. And, and, and at the uh, behest of Nityananda on his way to Vrindavan where he would be schooled by Rupa Rupan Sanatan mm-hmm. in Bhakti, and we see we see in their writings they employed those different philosophies. They incorporated features of, of those teachings that they agreed with and they dismissed and explained why features of it that they weren't acquainted with. So they were acquainted with with the currents of thought of the time. So this is what Nishnatam means in terms of being acquainted with the sacred sound from a theistic point of view and, and qualified to elaborate upon it and uh, through such, um, dispel the doubts of the, of the students. So, um, that's where you're gonna look in the direction of more of the absolute, right? Hmm? From the guru. The Shastra is kind of static in one sense, it, but in connection with the, with the person, Bogdan, it becomes dynamic, right? dynamic understand bring they bring out what we cannot uh, necessarily draw out from it our, our, ourselves so these through these two we get praying and these two are like like sometimes we talk about the guru like like the like the husband and veda mata the, the you know the, the scripture the mother so the, or the husband the father and the mother so they don't they never divorce is the point there's a statement in the catholicism or, or uh, a, a, a conception about the Pope that they came to which, which was at a certain point they, des- they determined that the Pope was infallible in terms of faith and morals not in terms of everything. Hmm? So when the, when the faith, whatever that meant to them when the Pope weighed in on morals and, and, and items of faith that go beyond reason those were to be taken as absolute by the Catholics. So it's a similar kind of um, idea. Now, that said, there may be some slight... The, the scripture also leaves room for some slightly different interpretations of texts, which which don't change the text substan- in any substantial way. Um, so there may be some room for that. But then, then you know, to go to the other end of the extreme, the relative side as well, the guru who's a Vaishnava or a Vaishnavi has certain... Um, uh, characteristics, uh, idiosyncrasies, uh, as as may be the case, we may find them charming. We may find them off putting <laughs> at times. Uh, that's also possible. Um, sometimes people become frustrated with, with 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 me as much in in that um, with regard to relative issues and management or something. So I try to stay away from it. <laughs> but um, uh, you know. The, the, there's a whole other. There, there's an issue in itself. Management, organization of a mission, that's very relative. How you, you could do it one way, you could do it. You could do it another way. Um, um, so, um, if, you know, if you if you just talk about, it, don't think about it. It's the point is obvious that there's a relative and an absolute feature of the guru. Now, to be honest with you, we as students of Prabhupada, myself and others, never heard that, never thought about that until. For example, till I met Pujapach Sridhar who brought up the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just at the right time for, you know, it, where, when Prabhupada disappeared, for thinking about that. Um, it just, it didn't come up. It wasn't it wasn't an issue. Um, but well, I was fortunate to have the association of Pujapach to understand it, because it, it obviously does come up. Mm-hmm. And it does come up for the disciples of Prabhupada, who, for example, are in the ISKCON organization and did not have good association of Pujapat Trina, Marsh, and they become c- confused about this issue or to the extent where they, where they accept absolutely statements that should be accepted as, 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 as relative. I mean, good, a good example is Prabhupada said his books would be the law books for the next 10,000 years. Well, that's an interesting statement. Of course it can't be found in any of his books or, or writings. Somebody said, he said it right. Somebody said he heard Prabhupada say it, and, and so there it is. Now, you take that statement, my books will be the law books for the next 10,000 years, and they take it. If they take it in a literal sense, I don't know what, what they mean. They mean it's going to replace the, the law books of every country of the world. I don't know what, what, what they mean by that, how they think about that, but they probably haven't thought that far, because the, because the further you think about it, the more ridiculous it becomes. The more it becomes apparent, I should say, with all due deference to Prabhupada, that it is an instance of hyperbole on his part. And if you study his books carefully, you'll see, as I cited earlier, over and over and over and over again, he says that the preaching is will be needs to be relevant in relation to time, place, circumstance audience, which again, if you just understand that simple point, which he repeats over and over again, you understand there's some relativity to the teaching
1: mm-hmm.
2: and there's and there's and there's a need for books over the next ten thousand years besides besides his to comment uh, to keep the commentarial tradition alive, which is the importance of which is the change of time and circumstance hmm? to keep commenting on it keep, keep explaining it in a new place and a new time to a new audience. Hmm? So that obviously contradicts the idea that, that, it, that, that in a static sense, as it's often understood and positive. Prabhupada's books were the books, were the law books with the next 10,000 years, no need for any of the books then. And uh, everything he says in there is absolute. And if you, you know, there's this big controversy about editing. I don't think Prabhupada's books should have been edited necessarily after he passed away, but I don't get into the issue because I think both sides missed the point entirely. One side says it shouldn't be edited. Other side said it should. Um, I said there should be new books. <laughs> Uh, that that's uh, you know and, and, and that's really what the tradition shows over over the centuries um, but I mean those that say there should be no editing sometimes they become fanatical you know, any any word you know if you didn't cross a t or dot an i you shouldn't dot it or cross it meanwhile it's been translated in you know many different languages i'm sure and they seem to be somewhat effective. The books in other languages, the trans. So it's just a silly, you know, kind of a fanaticism, if you will. So it's an important point: um, relative and um, and um, absolute aspects of, of the guru. And you know, we have to be thoughtful about it, and and uh, and we can take advice, and we have to have grow. And that's what. This means um as is an interim goal, if you will, to have spiritual uh discrimination and and to be able to discriminate between what's a belief and what's what constitutes faith. Faith is a more deeper abiding conviction in in core uh tenets
1: i mean again and and, and it's often the two are conflated, so it doesn't matter to me if
2: Vyas wrote the Bhagavatam, whoever wrote the Bhagavatam. I don't care who wrote the Bhagavatam. Nobody knows who wrote the Bhagavatam for that, but from an academic point of view, from any other point of view. I mean, so, and and Vyas means, you know, compiler. So, okay. Some people put their name on it, Vyas, rather than their own. But, but what is the substance of the text? That's what's important. Does that help?
4: Oh, yes, that, that helps a lot. That was very. Yeah, that, that really uh, covered all the ground of uh, the topic that I could think of. So, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, my God. Thank you for
2: your question. What else?
0: Um, Bhakti Lata.
5: Hey, can you hear me?
2: I can. How are you?
5: Alright, Hey, good, Gurumash. How are you? Good. good. Happy six years, man. I just do a lifetime more. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thanks for initiating me. It means the world. You're welcome. Um, I have a question if I can do it without crying. Hmm. Um, when the Sherny Day leaving here, we've been reading through the seventh canto so my husband can learn about him more. And this might be a basic question, and I'm kind of feel silly for asking it, but I'm going to ask it anyways because I don't know the answer. Yes, um, it keeps saying that um, Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, and Lord Vishnu didn't fall for Hiranyakashipu. Like, they were, all these other people were like, ooh, ooh, and they were the ones that were unaffected. Is it because they were the only actual, I don't want to say devotees, but I'm just trying to understand why those 3 were the ones that didn't and everybody else did. I guess is the point. They weren't they weren't affected by him? Yeah, it said um hang on page 179 hang on. It said Oh, my dear king, Harani Kashipu was always drunk on strong-smelling wines and liquors, and therefore his coppery eyes were always rolling. Nonetheless, because he had powerfully executed great austerities and mystic yoga, although he was abominable, all but the three principal demigods, Lord Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu, personally worshipped him to please him by bringing him various presentations with their own hands. And it mentions a couple other times that those three... Um, I don't maybe unaffected is not the right word, yeah. But anyways, I was just curious, yeah, those, I...
2: those three are in a different position than the other devas, and to
5: and
2: underscore that point, um, sometimes Krishna Himself comes as Brahma, and of course, Krishna is Vishnu, or and Shiva is also considered to be, um, uh, non different from Vishnu, like a. Like a trans transformed expression like if you t- like yogurt is not different from milk right yes but it's different so yes. that's the difference between Krishna or Vishnu Shiva and fish Vishnu milk and Shiva yogurt and, uh, and even and to say even sometimes Vishnu takes the position of Brahma and the power empowerment of Brahma is described in Jaitan in uh, uh, Brahma Samhita, the power that he has to be entirely derived uh, from from Vishnu. So, those are those three gods are in a different uh, category, so to speak. Okay, basically, the gods are compromised. Mm-hmm right okay uh so to speak they have to reciprocate um krishna doesn't have to now you know that extends a little bit to brahman and Shiva. in some instances we can see as well but um but um, yes they were they were not affected by or they were not um I mean, Brahma did a benediction to Hrani Kasipu, but the positions weren't compromised, so to speak. They weren't under the the influence. Hmm.
5: Okay. Thank you.
2: Okay. Sringa Bhagawan, Ke Jai.
5: Jai. Um, Guru Vakya?
2: Guru Vakya.
6: Good morning, Guru Maharaj. I have uh, maybe a question about a basic um, phenomenon that can be described in different synonyms of terms and that's reincarnation and transmigration. And I believe in one of um, the Sangha talks you, you said that transmigration may be a more accurate term because it shows the passage of the soul through different stages of individual body and then to another body. And I came across in, the, in your commentary to, to, to the 13th uh, chapter, verse 23, in the Gita, uh, there is this uh, description of how Purusha goes through different uh, bodies you, you, uh, according to, um, to, to the qualities that are born of material nature. And then you use this sad uh, asadyoni. And then you write that it implies human birth, this term, because human life is mixed experience of good and bad, and it's not like the life of uh, gods or lower species, and and then <clears throat> and then you say that well, but uh, you know the um, the these these words also refer to possibility of taking birth as a god or a, or a lower uh, a creature in a lower species of life. And then you concluded saying, thus they speak these words of both reincarnation and transmigration. So you use like both terms together. So would that mean like, it sounds to me like reincarnation it means human birth and transmigration going to different species. And so it's a slightly different meaning
2: here. I think, yeah, when most people use the term reincarnation, they, they, they think of um, um, Another human being, mm-hmm. uh, at least human beings. Most people think, "Oh, I don't want to be another person. How could that be?" So that's a you know misunderstanding of their own personhood and how uh, temporal uh, and vacuous it is. Um, whereas they themselves, as an Atma, a hum, the I am, rather than I am this or that, is you know much more substantial and enduring. And those who can get that far except an Atma will generally think that I'm going to reincarnate and all of my reincarnations are going to be one of progressive understanding until I graduate. No backwards going. Then there are those who, of course, th- those are understandings that are not based on the scripture, first two. Then third is, well, I'm going to take another human birth. Okay, that is scripturally... Uh, well, that's where got the concept of reincarnation, at least the texts in which it comes, explain it uh, to yeah. refer to that. And, and then transmigration is kind of a, is a development further of the idea that that may, that, that, that change of bodies may include um, higher or lower uh, forms of life as well. So I think that the, the, the the human position is 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 such that it uh, determines up or down, and and the future. Whereas heaven is depicted, for example, celestial forms as an exhausting of gradually expiring one's good karma gained in human life, after which one again comes down. Hmm. And the lower forms of life being results of also how one conducts oneself. The consequences of how one conducts, one conducts oneself in human life, such that it warrants uh, taking a, a less complex form of life. So, in either end of the spectrum, celestial or uh, or animal and in lower, there there's not much scope um, for um uh intention, mm, so to speak. Mm, um, and human and, and intention behind action is the all-determining factor. Mm? In other words, uh if I do something full knowing with intention, yeah, I'm gonna get a different result than I have to do it un- unknowing, unintending although there may still be a result in that case so human life is is special in that that regard does that help
6: so it means that simply it's like uh, we can say the under the the semantic field or whatever of, of of the of the word itself right reincarnation in English would be that it's the people would expect it to be like human birth uh or different, you know, human births and progression upwards, as you say. Because I think in Polish it's just, you know, people say reincarnation, they also understand that you can go you can get degraded into animal birth, for example. Yeah. So it would be le- linguistic. Yeah, well it's supposed to mean that.
2: I mean I you know, I mean neither one trans reincarnation, transmigration are a Sanskrit word. So the uh, concept in the Gita does include that, but for further edification, that the English-speaking audience, yeah. transmigration has become a word. Mm-hmm. I think to further explain reincarnation and the limited understanding of it uh, that has been prevalent in, um, in, in 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 English language. When you take societies like, uh, you know, the early theosophists. Um, yeah in the 19th century and so forth, with uh, J. Krishnamurti, and... uh, uh, Blavatsky, yeah. You know, these people were some of the earlier bearers of Indian uh, Vedanta, Eta wisdom and so forth, And but they had their own interpretations of it, like only human life, only progressing, as I would say, and so forth. So, So, yeah,
6: okay. Yes, okay,
2: thank You're you. You're editing the Gita, so go, go
1: ahead
6: yeah, yeah I just this that's that's, that's why it that's the question <laughs> because right. uh because uh in the Yamanuja, rendered it as just reincarnation, and then we got two terms in here, and it gave me some food for thought, and it's like different rendering in polish, a different semantic uh a different meaning probably here, a different right. scope so, okay, thank you thank you Beautiful. yeah thank you.
0: Um, let me see. Do you, do you have, do you want to answer another question? There's one more. Okay. Okay. So, um, let me bring it up. So there are a few devotees, um, from Argentina and mm. Janard and Swami had a question that was being translated by another devotee. Um, so let me bring the question up. So um, from the 10th Canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, Lord Vishnu answers the prayer of um, Bhumi Mataji, where she offers her prayers. And the Lord answers that he is going to descend to the world with his personal associates. So the question is, um, I've heard that the descent of Krishna Um, He always descends with his personal associates. So, why, in this particular situation, does he express that the deva are his the devas are his personal associates? Um,
2: Well, right. Um, Yeah, that's the question. If uh, the Bhagavatam properly understood.
1: involves the uh, understanding that Krishna
2: cannot exist without his associates. In other words, Krishna is the son is the son of Yasoda. So there can't be any son of Yasoda without your soda and Nanda. Mm-hmm. Krishna is the friend of Sridham. He can't be the friend of Sridham without Sridham. So this is the beta beta equation. So there's Krishna and there's love of Krishna. Krishna and his associates is Parshadas. These are expressions of his own internal sarup shakti mm-hmm. manifest, which which expresses itself for his pleasure, and makes his world go round, so to speak. So while there are other explanations of Krishna's mother and father in previous lives in the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. if we look at the whole text and what it's saying, we understand that those are the, the, those descriptions of, uh, Prishni and, um, Sutapa. Prishni. Suttapa and Dharna and Drona. Drona and so forth, that these are, um, these are heavenly, um, Celestial uh, beings who were in pursuit of Vatsalya rasa, mm-hmm. which Yashoda and Nanda so personify. And without which, without which Nanda and Yasoda, there is no question of aspiring for Vatsalya rasa. It wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an eternal mother and father of Krishna for example for there to be butsali Rasa. you can't have butsali with narayan he has no mother so so that so um, so so the there are there are sadakas both in on earth as jiva goswami explains in his commentary in bhakti rasik sindhu and in heaven in the celestial world for example sadakas here whose practice is not perfect, Gita explains that they attain a celestial uh, life in the next life. Now, they've attained that celestial life in a different way than others attain. Others attain it through karma. If you go there through imperfect bhakti, well, you're there for... You have got there by a, by a different means, so you have a different perspective. Hmm? And the and the and it, life there is, is for a long time. So amongst, for example, Krishna's friends, Jiva Goswami comments, there are his eternal associates, like Sridam, Sudam, Subal, and then there are those who've come from earth, sadakas, who took birth in the, in the manifest Leela because their practice had reached that point, And there are those from the celestial realm. And both, he says, are sadhikas. So we've already explained how some sadakas end up in heaven. And if that descent of Krishna on earth, when that occurs, then it's possible for those in heaven, in the celestial realm, to descend from there to participate in the lila. And so the case of Drona and Dara and so forth, Prishni and Sutapa, they're aspiring for a form of Patali Rasa. And, um, and which, which the ideal of which ultimately is is that of, of Shoda. She's like the mother of all mothers. So uh, when it's said that the, that the, Davis ascend as his associates. It means those type uh, of sadakas to participate, and it's a given. It, but not a given. But if you understand the philosophy through, for example, Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, the founding acharyas, the logic of which I'm explaining here, you understand. Well, it has to be a mother, an eternal mother of Krishna and Nanda. That's a, that's a given. Mm-hmm. it might be missed in a cursory reading of the text, mm-hmm. but if you look carefully, you, you understand the philosophy and the theology, so, well, so that, in a sense, the Bhagavatam is, because of the way Krishna is being explained, that's a given, therefore it doesn't say, and Krishna will ascend with his eternal associates, and then there will be other heavenly persons who become his associates. Mm-hmm. The, the, become, the very idea of becoming his associates, mm-hmm indicates that they are um, sadhikas. Mm. Um, There is another sense, of course, too, in which celestial beings may be uh, termed as associates in as much as some of those positions, celestial positions of Indra, for example, are empowered positions. Mm. Um, And so there's, there's kind of a partial divinity Within them, rather than just a karmic um, uh, uh, status. So I think that, um, but of course, Indra does come, but that's a whole lila. Brahma does come, um, and and, and so forth. But as far as um, the denizens of heaven descending, they are descending to participate as associates in the context of. Further association or getting the association of the parshans the entourage of Krishna, that Krishna is non-different from. So if we, and again, if we understand Krishna, Krishna comes, there can't be Krishna. There can't be Nanda Nanda without Nanda. There can't be Radhanath without without Radha. So Krishna is going to come. It means if the moon comes, its shine is also coming. I mean, we don't have to talk about it. It's, 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 it's a given and properly understood. So if, if you study the carefully the Bhagavatam, you see there's a sarup shakti. That's what the whole Bhagavat Sandarbha or a good greater balance of the Bhagavat Sandarbha is about. What is the sarup shakti and the existence of the sarup shakti, the parashakti? Mm-hmm. So Krishna means with his, with his internal associates and then heavenly associates will also come taking advantage of that opportunity, something like that. That's a brief answer because we're out of time. I hope that's um, helpful.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, because they were on the question. I don't know if they can answer whether it was or not.
2: Um mercy did he? Oh,
0: I guess it was. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's offering his pronouns. Yeah.
1: Hope to be yeah. Okay. Thank you, Maharaj. Okay. Haribo. Jai.
2: Oh. Maharaj, you Jai.
1: Haribo.
0: Alrighty. So I guess that's that's all. <laughs> thanks for your question for the answers and everything and answers to all the questions. And thank you. Right, both. Thanks for being with us.
1: Krishna, so. everyone.